You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to this week's episode of Best Camp of My Life, a podcast about MMA. Kind of, but not really, but kind of. I'm your host, Fernanda Prates, unless I am part of the unrealistically attractive young adult ensemble of a self-referential slasher movie from the late 90s. In which case, I'm still your host, Fernanda Prates, in the sense that I do host this show and Fernanda Prates is my name, but I'm also not your host, Fernanda Prates, in the sense that Do you really know who I am and why I am and why it is that I do what I do? Did you ever wonder, for instance, why I transferred schools in the middle of the year and why that one lady at the supermarket called me a different name once and why I bear a striking physical resemblance to that one person whose untimely death directly or indirectly involved your entire group of friends? Did you ever notice I always show up on screen just seconds after a faceless assailant just got done bringing a gruesome end to a member of the aforementioned group and that I seem oddly unworried about the idea of meeting the same fate myself? And that my name is kind of unusual but also contains the exact letters of another less unusual name? A name that could be easily found in a yearbook of a different school next to a face that doesn't correspond to mine but to someone who has gone mysteriously missing in the past few months. If you did notice all these things and simply thought to yourself, nice try, but that is just too obvious. Congratulations, you are right. It is, in fact, way too obvious. Or is it? I mean... I clearly don't even have the same build as the faceless killer and my modest frame could never be powerful enough to single-handedly and surreptitiously drag the lifeless bodies of grown men up trees and bridges and church towers. Or could it? I mean, let's face it, I couldn't possibly balance my show, my athletic achievements and my remarkably active social life with a highly prolific and impressively technically intricate murderous spree Or could I? In any case, don't need to worry about that now. Unless you are directly implicated in the accidental but also entirely avoidable death of a loved one and or its subsequent cover-up, this really does not concern you at all. For the purposes of this particular show at this particular time, I really am nothing more than your humble host, Fernanda Prates, bringing you weekly insights into the sport of MMA and other things that are tangentially related to MMA and other things that actually don't really Really have anything to do with MMA at all, but that I talk about anyway because it's my show and you're not the boss of me, bitch. 
unless you're literally one of my bosses, in which case I'm sorry about the show and the bitch thing, mostly the bitch thing. In any case, I digress. The point I was getting at is the one I usually get at when I do these long meandering intros. And that point is that we have yet another very special guest in our midst. That's right. Somehow, someway, I haven't exhausted all the options of incredibly smart and talented people who are willing to talk to me for 60 to 80 minutes. Strange, I know, but life is full of surprises. Today, that incredibly smart and talented person is none other than the men, the myth, Chuck Mindenhall. Anything I say from this point on is irrelevant because obviously you know Chuck. Everybody who has ever read a thing that has been written in MMA knows Chuck because Chuck is pretty much the golden standard for that. In a space that isn't exactly known for agreeing on things, everyone can pretty much agree that Chuck is an incredibly gifted writer and also just one cool individual. And I know from experience, because I had the privilege of having Chuck as a colleague at The Athletic. Chuck can now be found at The Ringer MMA Show, at TheMythWithAnai.com, and at least for the next little bit, here with us. Aren't we lucky? In any case, here's our chat. Enjoy it or don't. Just remember that I may or may not be right behind you. Well, I don't know about you, dear listeners, but I sure am glad that today's guest opted to take to this particular podcast to break his silence on his career in MMA. Welcome to the podcast, Chuck. Oh, no, you didn't, Fernanda. No, you didn't. You loved it. So you you're loved one it. of those. You're one of those. The take twos and all that. Take to Twitter. Doesn't that drive you nuts? It does. I think it's hard. Take to Twitter. I'm okay in the middle of a well, sentence. Why? Not in a title. I don't know. I, I don't know because it, it does. It's kind of like you said. It sounds dramatic. I guess. I guess as a writer, mm. you hear like a uh, uh, the lazy. So it's like it's it's like this um, viral laziness, right? Because yeah. uh, you can go on Twitter or you can post on Twitter. You can do a lot of other things, but the take to Twitter, which is this very specific thing that everybody mm -hmm. uses. I don't know. It's a pet peeve of mine, Fernanda. But you it does sound that. dramatic. It sounds it intense. Does. I like, guess so. It's like you're storming in there. You're going to like take to Twitter and you're going to let it be known. You're going to break your silence or you're going to open up on some subject you've been uh, open about back on. Yeah. in the past because that's the break the silence really does. It grinds my gears because it's never it's never like a thing like like a big secret of state that's been kept under wraps for 20 exactly. years. And this agent is finally, it's always like a person lost a fight. And then on Tuesday, yeah. they say something about it. It's, it's exactly. That's my, <laughs> see, that's my problem. Now you could say breaks his silence. If uh, there was like, you know, a 15 year gag order that was placed on. Exactly. Or, but you can't say it if it's his first opportunity to comment on something that happened last week. I mean, that's just, uh, that's kind of milking it a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, but isn't like 90% of online journalists <laughs> just milking it. I'm glad days. we're starting with my peeves. You know, this is the good this is a good way to get me me started here. I uh I love to talk about my peeves. Get you riled up. <laughs> like I, I would say I guess again, like most writers. Like I feel yes. like I'm more comfortable talking about things that I hate than about things yes. that I like. Yeah, I think that's generally true, you know? Yeah. It's easier. <laughs> but we'll start, I actually will start, I always start like asking about people's sort of origin story with MMA, but with you, I wanted to go further back and ask a much broader and possibly impossible question. <laughs> okay. Because 
um, I guess for most of us, there isn't really a singular event or anything that sparks the writer thing. Uh, but I kind of sure. wanted to ask you, do you remember sort of when you kind of realized, not necessarily I'm a writer, but like maybe writing was your thing? Oh, it's a tough one. You know, I, I look back at like, uh, you know, you go back to, I don't know, school and mm. what, what you read uh, like during your junior high or like your high school years. And you're like, how did that affect? I wasn't really that great of a student or anything like that. But and I honestly did not know that um, writing was even something I'd want to do, especially mm -hmm. through those years. Uh, it seemed like, uh, you know, if they gave you like a book report or something, it seemed like, uh, you know, they were torturing you. I didn't want to be doing that sort of thing. <laughs> but there was just a point I, you know, I remember reading certain books that were, um, you know, uh, were part of the curriculum, which were like, um, the catcher and the rye and those types mm -hmm. of books and getting yeah. really into them, you know, and just, um, you know, you relate to the characters, then you start paying attention to the craft of mm -hmm. how they did, um, how they told that story through this first person or, you know, like, uh, you know, it, it, as a 14 year old boy or whatever it was, uh, Holden was supposed to be like things like that. You, you mm -hmm. realize you're paying attention on some other level. And I would say that the first inklings of like, you know, being wanting to be a writer or to try it mm. occurred back then. Although I would say that I didn't really start trying to write until my, you know, young 20s. And then, you know, you're keeping a notebook and you're writing down every little profound thing that occurs to you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that sort of thing. But it, it it's, it's just one of those things. I, I don't know. Um, it's kind of more subconscious and organic. Yeah. It just started from someplace. But it wasn't like when I was eight years old, I was like, I love writing and that's what <laughs> I'm going to try to do. It, it didn't occur for me like that. Yeah. And when, and that's another sort of impossible question, but I always find it interesting that for us, uh, it's not like, you know, when you're an architect ac architect, and you go to school and you get a degree and yeah. you're like, I'm an architect. Like, that's not really <laughs> how it happens for us. Uh, for me, it's never really happened that I just call myself a writer. But it was there a point where you sort of felt in your career or in your, in your life where you could be just like, I guess I am a writer, like officially? <laughs> it's almost like defiance, I think, that happens at some point. And I said, I'm a writer, even though a lot of people were trying to tell me I was not. You know what I mean? Like, you're mm. you're kind of... Because I, I recall writing, um, you know, the first published writing I did was uh, for the college newspaper. I was probably 20 years old or something like that. Um, mm. The Metropolitan, which is this uh, college downtown Denver. I did a couple of pieces and they were very, they were very ranging, like from, I wrote about, I interviewed the baseball coach. I like, uh, reviewed an album and then I reviewed like this mm -hmm. art gallery that was set up, you know, this installation. I did weird things, whatever they needed. And, um, I can remember, you know, you get this taste of seeing your name, that type mm. of thing. Um, but you know, that begins your, I don't know, five to 10 years of hell. Yeah. <laughs> then you start trying to write, you know, all these other things. And um, I think that I was batted back a lot. You know, I was just like, you know, you, I, I never had these first the formative years. I never really had like an editor mm. that was good, that saw something in you that was going to try to get it out or to um, hone your craft. I didn't have that editor. I didn't really have mentors in the field, you know, like that mm -hmm. sort of thing. So it was a lot of internal trial and error and then when you would turn something in or pitch something or do something on spec wherever i was at at the time um there was a lot of rejections so i uh you know i went through i went through a good amount of that sort of thing mm. before 
I actually started to, I guess, whatever you want to say, like succeed or where you mm-hmm. start to feel comfortable writing, you know yeah. what I mean? Where you start to feel comfortable, or you know, when you've hit something the right way, or you know that you've written something that's worthwhile. It took a while, man. It takes a little while to kind of understand um, that you're writing something readable or that you're hitting the note you were trying to, you know? So it, it was a process, but uh, once it clicked in, you know, obviously mm-hmm. you still go through, you still go through the introspections and, you know, the doubts and all that stuff. But um, you override them, I think, with experience because you've done it so many times at some point, you know, that 10,000 hours rule. Yeah. You just at some point, you're just like, <laughs> you know what, man, I'm just being foolish. I'm going to let it go. People hate it. They hate it. You know, that sort of thing. Like, I've done this enough that I can just like. Yes. And, 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 you, and you know that people mm. are going to read it and forget about it, even if they hate it. You know, they're mm. going to read it and forget it. You're going to do it again tomorrow or you're going to do it again next week. It's not like it's uh, some permanent, um, you know black mark on your ledger that you can't erase at some point. Oh, but that's the (laughs) hardest lesson, isn't it? Like, at least to me, and well, that's partially my personality because I just, I take literally everything personally. It's, it's, it's a problem, but (laughs) (laughs) it's, that's more of a me thing. But like, it's, it's this, what you just said of just understanding that a person not liking that one thing is not going to ruin you forever. That's the process too. I think you got to have, it's, it's a funny game, man. And I've, I've, I've listened to, I know, I love the fact that you actually ask writers about their processes and all this stuff, because mm-hmm. um, I've, I've listened to a couple of your other interviews and uh, I, I dig that. I always love to listen to other writers talk about this sort of thing, but I really believe you, you thicken your skin over time. You have to, right? Like, mm-hmm. otherwise you get out of this game. You don't do it because uh, it's hard to make a good amount of money in this, in this racket and, uh, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And it's definitely hard to have um, different people giving you different advice, mm-hmm. different input, things like that. Like I've had some of the worst editors. I'm not kidding when I say that. Like some of the worst editors who I look back on now and I'm like, man, why that guy was an editor <laughs> is beyond me. Because what they were, you know, the types of editing they were mm-hmm. doing, the types of things yeah. they were taking out was the very soul of the piece or they oh, introduced errors to your piece. And you just look yeah. at all that. Um, and so you got to have a thick skin. You got to have like a, a level of perseverance through this to get to a point where you're like, you're ready to stick up for yourself. You're ready to fight and die for the piece you're writing, you know, all mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, and it's just, it's a process. And people always ask like, Hey, how do I get on you? I like what you do. How do I do? It? I'm like, don't do it, man. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. Isn't that the I worst? So like a college kid comes to you and I asks know. for... <laughs> if if the world was heading in a different place, if it wasn't all podcasting and like, you know, uh, there's I, the writing game. The one I was I came up to was so mm. intact. Mm. There was so much glory to it. In fact, all the romantic comedies, you know, and I'm not I, I this is just something I've noticed. It's not something I aspire to. But like you would notice that the the person's always an editor. They, it's some high station yeah. editor or, you know, mm-hmm. she's a, uh, you know, a photo editor or she's the photographer something weird. Like they always had journalism there because it was kind of the highest pillar of um, integrity for the, yeah. for the type of person you are. That was kind of the thing I was brought up on. I always consider myself more of a writer, therefore a little yeah. more derelict. Than, mm-hmm. a, than a journalist. But at the same time, the principles are the same. But it just doesn't exactly translate that way anymore. The journalism yeah. field is just so hard compared to uh, the entry points are so low, all that stuff. So when people ask, I'm like, if it was like it was, I would totally say it's worth the struggle. Mm. But where it's at now, I'm always like, I don't know, man. Uh, you got to really want it and you're going to have to sift through a lot of bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's interesting because you mentioned that. Like, I 
kind of through my late teenage years and starting like my profession, I watched a lot of Sex in the City and Carrie yeah. Bradshaw is a columnist. Like right. that's her literal job and she cannot afford an apartment <laughs> sure. and Manolo Bloodics. <laughs> like, yeah, it communicates that you're smart, you have integrity, you know what I mean? Like it communicates all these things without uh, having to show it, right? Like, so it's, it's an easy, it's an easy thing to do on TV and in the movies. And you can like afford a living with a weekly column. Yeah. Yeah, that was always a stretch, right? It that was, was always a stretch. Are. These people living in like New York City in these like uh, in Manhattan, know, draft, no less. Yeah, yeah. Manhattan <laughs> with these drafty apartments where they're like several rooms or whatever. I'm like, come on, <laughs> that doesn't happen. Yeah. I knew some of the be- dude. I lived in New York City for a couple of years, oh, yeah? and and I knew some uh, big time editors, like the editors mm. of the glossy national magazines and things like that. I've been to apartments, and nobody's living like that. So that that, by the way, is just a fiction straight up. You're telling me that Sex in the City, this <laughs> incredibly <laughs> glamorous ladies. That, that one's real. But the rest go- of them. Because <laughs> that's still aspirational to me. Even though the show has shown itself quite problematic over the years, I have been watching, re- I rewatched <laughs> it uh, recently because I don't know, I have no shame. And I will say that some things did not age well. Yeah. I still think that that's a thing that can happen for me, Chuck. And I will not hear otherwise. <laughs> you know, I, I have never really, wa- I've watched the show like sporadically a couple episodes here and there back when it was on. I, it'd be fun to go uh, take a look at that now because I don't have like um a bar really for that show i just uh you, that's I a good just, way to go into it <laughs> yeah maybe i should check it out just no bar uh set it low <laughs> go into it and just enjoy okay. enjoy the looks and the fashion like bar. all right yeah it's it's interesting because like to me the word writer has always really felt like such a luxury because like in the sense of just me being able to identify myself as that. Cause like I, my whole thing, like I went to school for journalism. I started interning at a paper. Like then I did PR. Like I did a whole, like I was in the journalism thing. So I was like all these things, like a reporter, a producer, whatever. But like, it was always something else. I always loved writing. Like writing was my thing, but I had never written a book. So like you can't, I've never written a show. I've never written a book and I was doing other things. And then when like the athletic came along and I actually even wrote about that in those, that those little essays that we wrote. Yeah. That's right. Kind of like, Oh, I guess fuck it. Now I get to call myself a writer, whatever. (laughs) Sue me. Disagree. If you want, that's what I'm doing now. I'm writing. Fuck you. Um, I do fluctuate on that though. No, I mean, it's uh... (laughs) a, I mean, there there has to always come a moment in time, right? Like where it's like either you're a writer or you're not. Um, yeah. I was. I felt like. Uh, I feel like the first step is to say, like, you know what? I'm making money writing. Mm-hmm. You know, I can actually make a go at this. I feel like a lot of people, they had, you know, a lot of people get started in writing later. I've noticed uh, because probably they, you know, they want to have some profession yeah like <laughs> some real before, yeah <laughs> yeah so they treat it as a hobby yeah. and uh and then when they realize they can make money you'll occasionally see uh, a person say like you know i'm switching gears now i'm gonna yeah. um, you know i'm gonna become a writer or i'm gonna become a journalist or whatever it is mm-hmm. yeah but it's uh i think making money is the first part right but then so you start to believe in yourself you can make a living writing i'm, I'm like that's the first blessing you're like wow um, mm-hmm. I can make a living. I can make this work. And it's fun at c- conversations. You know, you go to a party and what do you do? I'm a writer, you know, and like people like to, 
you know, talk to you about that, what you read about all this, that stuff is the initial boon, right? But I I feel like it's like art. If you're truly trying to be a writer, because you're like, well, now you got to figure out what your actual, um, value is, you know, Mm. and then it goes through this process of like, well, what is it worth? And, you know, somebody might overpay you or it seems like they overpay you for some gig you do. And then, um, but then you have the taste of that and you're like, well, I kind of would like to make that with everything. And it just kind of, you know, your, your value changes as you go. And, um, and that I guess is the next step is just, uh, how do you make a good living, you know, being a writer and all that stuff. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know when I started to call, I still hesitate sometimes to even say I'm a writer, but at the same time, um, you know, I've been writing, I haven't yeah. really done other work than writing for, you know, 12 years now or something. So I guess, I, I guess I'm a writer tried and true, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess I've, I've, let me, uh, consult with the, uh, legal department. Yes. They confirmed it. <laughs> yes. You are yes. allowed to right. call yourself a writer. Uh, right. We're not legally liable. Uh, but it's interesting <laughs> that when you talk about the value thing, and I think now it's harder to even gauge that because we are sort of in this time of content production, right? Which is yeah. what we do also as podcasters because you also uh, do a podcast. That's kind of like what we're doing. But there is so much content and so many oh, yeah. people producing it and so many different voices and so much that they add that, at least for me, sometimes it's just kind of like that confidence that you build over time is just kind of like, do I even have anything to say that everybody else isn't yeah. saying? You know, like, yeah, I, that was a, uh, and I mean, I know we talked about this, but that was a real challenge when they put together that athletic uh, team that we had, mm-hmm. which was. The best assembled, I think, uh, ever. You know, like I just think that, that that team, the talent in that room was very strong. You know, starting with uh, Dan Stupp, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yourself, I, I know you were like, uh, it seemed like you were in awe that you were in that group, but you absolutely deserved it. In fact, a lot of your stuff I felt was uh, the freshest on the page. I was like, this is, uh, this is cool to have different perspective and uh, all that stuff. But, you know, Ben folks, Chad, mm-hmm. Josh, all these guys, man, Sean, mm-hmm. it was yeah. just I felt like we really had um, a crew. But then the dilemma, you know, after you're kind of like, wow, hey, you know, cheers, we all made it, that type of thing. It was kind of like, uh, what do we write about? Because <laughs> we're all <Yeah>. writers. <laughs> you know, it's like we're all kind of writers and, uh, yeah. you know, finding angles, unique angles mm-hmm. on stories and and still keeping in touch with uh the UFC's calendar to an extent and all that stuff, yeah. it became a real challenge, you know? Um, but you know, I, they, we should have gotten more time. I'm not sure if you've ever discussed the athletic, uh, career on here. A I'm little kidding. bit. Of course you have. I yeah. You have. With Shaheen it. and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I talked a lot. Bit. I talked a lot about it with, with PT, who obviously yeah. is on your, in your, on your show. And exactly like you said, like, it just felt like, a thing that yeah. was too good to be true, and then it really was too good to be true. <laughs> then it yeah, was, I guess Damn. so. <laughs> yeah, it didn't help. It didn't help when um, I don't know how they sold you on it. Um, uh, this is one of those strange kind of stories because uh, you know some of us. You were working at Junkie, right? When they when they yeah. hired you. So I mean, you know, Ben was over uh, at Junkie too. Yeah. I was at MMA fighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean was at MMA fighting. I'm not sure. I'm Josh may have just been a free agent at that point, but most people are coming from, uh, from places. And so yeah. you're kind of taking a little bit of a leap of faith based on what they were telling you. And what mm-hmm. they were telling you is, Hey, we want you for your writing ability. Mm-hmm. We want you to be a writer. You know, what's the story you've been wanting to tell? Yeah. Tell them. 
okay, that's the story we want you to tell, you know, yeah. and you're like, okay, this is, this is fantastic. So, uh, you know, what sucked about it is within three months, I felt like that philosophy was already crumbling. There was not, yes. you know, the, the long form, they were already kind of chopping that idea down to mm-hmm. saying like, you know, long form could mean 2000 words. It doesn't mean yes. six or whatever. Uh-huh. So they were kind of putting caps and limits and changing language and uh, changing philosophies in real time. And that didn't help, you yeah. know, uh, so they kind of assembled a crew based on one idea. And within that year that I was there, they were uh, actively changing it, you know, mm-hmm. the whole time. So it just, I think it was doomed. I didn't want to, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I didn't want to believe that as it was happening, but I felt yeah. like it might be doomed at some point along the way. I kind of had that same feeling when when numbers start being brought into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Like that to me was kind Constantly. of, right? Because... Like I said, you were fighting. I was a junkie. You were already a very established writer, writer at that point, right? Like you were, your style was something that people went to your stuff for and not necessarily just the theme. Uh, I was still very much, and I'm still, because I'm still sort of developing my style in English, but uh, a junkie, I was like more churning out news and I wasn't happy there. So it wasn't like I was already thinking about leaving. So when the offer came, it wasn't like they really (sighs) pulled me from this great situation, right? It was kind of like I was tired. That was like really draining for me. And you know, that's the nature of the game. You have to be quick. You have to churn out material. But that was extra hard for me to do in English. And I hate using that, like, as an excuse, but it is what it is. It's just hard. Yeah. Well, it's understandable. But of all people, you're phenomenal at that. Thank you. I really appreciate it. But, like, it was just, it was yeah. a lot. And it, it was, of course, it was going to take longer. And I'm already a, a slow writer as well in Portuguese. But anyway, it was just, like, a whole <laughs> thing. And then when they... The, the athletic, like you said, the idea was very much like freedom. Like you have sure. a, like a voice and a perspective and that's what we want to get. And we want to do like more long form and stuff. And then like you said, I started like getting sort of the, oh, you need to like, maybe this will is something that's going to attract the audience, like numbers, start to be like, bring your numbers up, things like that. And then there was obviously the whole deal with the podcast that you and Shaheen yeah. were doing. Right. Yeah. The Men in the Myth already. Uh, Josh had his podcast and I had mine. And when they canceled it because it wasn't really doing like numbers, yeah. um, that's, I was kind of like you right then and there. I like, ah, uh, like, oh, yeah, man. The- Yep. When they were doing that, that's when uh, I felt like I could read the writing on the wall pretty clearly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seemed like a matter of time. I wasn't, honestly, I didn't think that uh, it would be as drastic as it was. Um, right. Nobody you know, the, did the, the most, The most egregious thing, like, yes, they sold us a bill of goods. They did all of that. Um, but, you know, there were people within this group. Now, I don't know about you. Have mm. you have you ever have you ever been fired? I mean, you weren't even really. You were just kind of. They almost phased you out at the end. Yeah. It seemed like they didn't. It, it wasn't they like you got the axe. They just kind of mm-hmm. phased you out. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That was it. Because that's um, another thing people ask. Oh, and I, I wasn't really fired because I wasn't even really hired. Yeah. Right. That's it. Was yes. a different situation. But it's kind of like was, you said. I wasn't cut. I, I can't speak for Ben, but I suspect this is true. But Ben, Ben, folks, and I, I feel like we've had like this. We had been, I, I don't, I, you know, not rivals, but we were at rival um, companies mm-hmm. pretty much the whole way for the last 10 years. Neither mm-hmm. one of us had been fired. In fact, I would say that both of us have flourished in the MMA yeah. space Absolutely. and developed that, those names and all that stuff. And I think the most egregious aspect that was that both of us had to be, go through that. Like we wouldn't have been fired in any other way, but at The Athletic, we got fired. That's, um, 
you know, that's just not, it's not cool. Like to sell somebody on something like that and then not give them the chance. Um, it's just weird, man. I, I, I don't regret it in one way because I, I just to have the opportunity was a lot of fun. And I was very much like you, I was ready to leave MMA fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if something came up, I knew I'd be interested if it was the right, uh, the right gig. And obviously this one was presented as the, as the perfect gig to kind of segue out of there mm-hmm. for the exact reasons that you wanted to leave junkie is why I wanted mm-hmm. to leave, um, MMA fighting. Yeah. You know, there's, I don't think they distinguish. I still, to this day, don't believe that the editor over there distinguishes between what a writer is doing versus what a guy who, uh, you know, grabs and calls together like a, a, twi- uh, a Twitter feud and builds an article out of that. Like these are different things. These are not the same yeah. things. And, uh, that was, it just was, it was going nowhere at MMA fighting. I was probably there a couple of years too long, to be honest. So mm-hmm. I don't have any regrets because ultimately I was, I was probably segueing out of there anyway. Um, yeah. but, you know, you just wish that the uh, you just wish that there had been more time to develop it and see where it was going to go. Yeah. The way it happened, I think, was traumatic. Like the yeah. sort of purge, like yeah. Thanos, like snapped his finger and then like half the yeah. team was freaking gone in one day. Like it was all and in the middle of the survey, <laughs> like the, the you, thing that really. Guys, yeah. There was like people with survivor's guilt there, too, because they're like, uh, hey, you yep. know. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's not healthy either. So I, I felt for anybody who you know didn't get axed because you're like, well, now you guys are being forced with uh, c- trying to convince the public to jump this paywall yes. by yourselves. You know, that's after true. they just axed sixty percent of the team, it was just uh, it was not smart business. It was the three of us left, basically. Yeah, Ben, Shaheen, and I. Because I even before they quote unquote phased me out, I was still there for a couple of months. Right, and right, there was yeah. a lot of survivor's guilt because I was like, <laughs> "Have you seen who left? Like, why am I here? This makes yeah. absolutely no sense. Just a weird whole fucking yeah. thing." But how is it? I guess, and it, you know, it was a weird. It was mid-pandemic, like the whole situation for the world. We know how volatile this sort of industry is. Uh, like I said, like you, you don't regret it. You were not exactly leaving this ideal place, but. How was sort of yeah. dealing with it, like professionally, emotionally? Like, <laughs> was that ever a point after that when you were kind of like wondering if MMA was still the way to go for you? Uh, oh, yeah, there was definitely a moment. And I, I kind of, um, if I'm being honest, I was pretty burnt out. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like you've been writing about this and you're watching cards yes. literally every weekend, I think, for the last 10, 12 years. You're just constantly mm-hmm. on this, uh, this MMA cycle that's ceaseless. And I think it, when it, when it happened, um, you know, there's a lot of different things that go through it, but I think that that was like, you know, I should use this opportunity to kind of step away from this a little bit, like get away from it, uh, not dealing it and try to feel like, you know, see if there's enthusiasm to even want to continue this. Maybe it's time to segue into something else. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, there are other writing opportunities available and there were editing opportunities available. I could have, I could have done something else, but it was just, um, I opted, I did a couple of things, you know, on the side that just kind of, uh, projects to keep me busy and things like that. But during that time, yeah, I would say that there was a, there's a moment where you do wonder like, you're like, man, I did this. I built my name. I, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've been writing, I've been on the MMA beat. I've been, you know, part of like whatever the fabric of MMA coverage is for a long time. And then it felt like, what did it amount to? You know, mm-hmm. it just amounts to you kind of not having a gig, you know, a regular gig. And then you're like, I don't really want to go to work for MMA fighting. I'm not going to do that. I wouldn't do that in a million years. I, I don't really want to go to MMA junk. I don't want to go to one of the 
places that are, uh, you know, just cranking that stuff out. Cause I know that that's yeah. miserable. So, you know, it was like, I had to go through a process of basically like wondering left, how much right? I want. Yeah. What's, what's left. Is there a place, uh, you know, even ESPN, I just felt like I started at ESPN, uh, two, 2010 to 2013 ish, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that didn't hold any real charm either. I was just like, you know, the type of coverage and everything that's going on over there. I just, it, nothing was really grabbing me. And, um, and I think it was good. I, in the end it was good, but through the, you know, through that first six month period afterwards, mm-hmm. you're kind of waiting. you like, you want to be flattered by people. Like you want to see if there's uh big offers yeah. waiting out there, for yeah. <laughs> things like that. There weren't a ton. There were some really weird offers, but uh, there weren't a ton of like sustained, you know, yeah. jobs where you're like, oh yeah, I could go do this or whatever uh, that, that you'd give serious consideration to. So I think I went through the gamut, you know, yeah. where you're just like, ah, I'm done with this. Nah, maybe not done, but I would rather just do this or, you know, and then you start doing some independent projects and that was, that was fun. You know, that was fun to do that, uh, get out of it a little bit mm-hmm. and you just kind of wait for the opportunity. Fortunately for me, it came up finally with the, uh, the ringer and mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, a podcast, which I was like, you know, that's good. Cause it's not a lot of writing. I do have a writing commitment to them, which hasn't kicked in yet, but, uh, okay. yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, it kind of worked out, I think, uh, but this racket, you never know. Tomorrow we could jump back on this thing and I'll be lamenting that too. Yes. Because you never know. When a mate when a big company that's known for other sports and things like that or other yeah. um they sometimes will look at MMA as the, the first thing to to get rid of. So you're yeah. always anytime you you go to a place that is not MMA centric, there's yeah. that threat. Absolutely. Uh, does you mentioned the, the the podcast, right? You had the podcast, which was that your first? Because I know you did like shows, but was that your first like full on podcast that you hosted? The Men in the Myth. Um. Yeah. Prop. Let's see. So the Men in the Myth was. Um. Yeah. I mean, that was the only one that I I've ever really done that was committed to just me being a, a common you know mm-hmm. theme to other than the MMA beat, but that was a roundtable. So if you're looking at like a host and co-host, yeah. Sean and I were. Um, we're kind of doing that. I, I think that that was the first time I'd ever really committed to that. It was a lot of fun yeah. because then you start to get to add your own slants to it and stuff like that. I thought that that had a good dynamic because Sean is also a writer. Mm-hmm. So you kind of dissect things in a, yeah. uh, in a writerly way rather than um, a typical journalistic way. And, uh, yeah. and so th- those types of things were a lot of fun, but man, that, that poor podcast, it was like, you know, at the athletic. And then it was part of the, it was a casualty of that, those cuts. And then we yeah. kicked it back up independently and uh we, it was great because we got some sponsors uh it was all worthwhile i thought we were gaining steam again and then uh sean obviously got hired at mma fighting yeah. and uh they put the kibosh on continuing it so it just kind of you know i hated to see it die twice you know what i mean so it's <laughs> right, like, like, uh, like <laughs> but, it, but, it, but it did <laughs> it's like the character in the horror movie that survived like a very gruesome yeah. death and it just takes a bullet to the head and like was it necessary <laughs> but uh <laughs> but like in a nicer way because it's a nice podcast but yeah did you yeah. th- I, i'm asking for for myself here because i okay never thought that that would be something that i would enjoy doing when i got the podcast uh at the athletic it was kind of something that i loosely suggested and they bought into it sort of uh right away and i was kind of like oh damn now i gotta do it <laughs> fuck yeah. Yeah. i was just trying to be proactive and they called me on it <laughs> i this is what you get for be for suggesting things uh but yeah. i ended up well be bold really- and my divorces right <laughs> that's the whole thing but I ended up uh, enjoying it. So uh, yeah. do you actually, did you feel 
I don't know. How did you feel about podcasting? Was it something that you identified with right away? Man, you know, I always looked at it as a necessary evil at first. Like I, yeah, I only wanted to write. You know, mm. I was just like, that's what I, that's what I'm here to do is just write. All these other guys, I didn't care. They could get as famous as they wanted, or you know, make as much money as they wanted doing podcasting and TV work and all that. But it just happens, as you know, it just kind of happens. If you don't yeah. have the, if you don't have it in your arsenal that you can uh, jump on air and uh, explain yep. something or talk about an article or uh, break down a fight card, I mean, it's just you know, you're, you're limiting yourself. And I, I think when I was at ESPN, I had really only written, I, I'd only done a few radio interviews at this point. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was at ESPN, they called me, I started off just, uh, doing a lot of, um, uh, writing. It was like, I was handling their blog. And so basically like columns, mini columns, a lot of mini columns, and then the occasional features. So it was, uh, it was right in my wheelhouse. And then they called me and they're like, Hey, can you come into Bristol? I live in Connecticut. So mm. I'm, I'm about 30 minutes from ESPN headquarters and they called mm-hmm. and they're like, Hey, can you come in and shoot MMA live? Um, a li- MMA live hit with, I think it was John Anik. It was still when he was there. And I was like, I was like, man, that is just not what I do. You know, yeah. I just, uh, I really don't do that. Um, mm-hmm. but given that it was ESPN and you're like, well, you know, I'm, I can't say no, you know, you can't say no to it. But I, I would say that I was like you. I was sort of like, oh, God, I, I'm not I, I'll suck at this. You know, I'm no good at this. Yeah. And uh, and you kind of just dupe yourself and you put in your you know shoes on and going out the door and heading down to the studio yeah. and just getting on there and seeing how it goes. <laughs> Don't wait, no. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> to wait to turn back. Okay. I'm here. <laughs> the camera's I, on. I would say that. Yeah. And it, it's funny because really, I don't think that they noticed that it was my first time doing it. I think at least I oh, was natural enough. Yeah. Like where I kind of. I, I look at it. I'm sure. I'm sure if I found the footage, I look very rigid and like I'm not ready for this. But at the same time, they didn't really notice, and nobody was paying attention to MMA anyway. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like perfect. Um, so I. Uh, so anyway, long story short, like they started asking me to do like they got a renewal on MMA Live, which is their show that they ran on ESPN two, and uh, they just hired me as part of that season. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, so I was doing live, t- like not live. It was never live. It was a kind of a misnomer. But I was like, it was. Uh, I was doing TV out of nowhere, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like, this is not something I ever signed up for, but I did it frequently enough at that point to get kind of used to it. Yeah. And, um, and from there it was just kind of like, you know, you, you take on the next gig at MMA fighting and then the MMA beat starts up. So then I'm on that show a lot. And mm-hmm. now it just feels like anything, you know, it's like, it's part of your duties. Somebody, you know, it's just, uh, you get on there. I, I do dig the podcasting better because I feel like your personality can come out, especially if it's your own. Yep. Um, I was a big fan of your, what, what, what did you call it again? I'm sorry. I forget the name. Well, I, yeah, actually. Yes. And it's like, that was, that was awesome. In fact, my idea, which I would have been afraid to execute was what you did, which was kind of had this Rooney-esque, um, you know, editorializing, you know, like sort of, uh, giving little versions and opinions about what is going on. I thought that that was an awesome approach to the MMA space because there was nothing quite like it. Plus you were very mm. articulate and how you got your points across and you had a de- definitive opinion. I was sort of like that to me struck me as a very innovative idea. And I had that idea too. I was like, maybe what I do since I'm a writer is I, you know, I just speak, I just speak into a microphone. I don't talk mm-hmm. to anybody. I just tell it my side, you know, that sort of thing, but it never materialized. But I, I have to say, I kind of lived vicariously through you when you did. And I was like, <laughs> this is pretty cool. Um, so I liked that idea a lot. That's kind of why I, I I suggested it though. Like I was kind of looking around. I'm an avid podcast listener. Like I listen, my days are filled with podcasts. Like yeah. 
that sounds pathetic, but they're like my friends, like their voices (laughs) in my ear, keeping me company. And then um, I was kind of like, you know, there's so many doing so many things. And and like at that point, we already kind of had the golden standard, right? With the co-main event. Like the co-main event to me is like the perfect freaking podcast. They figured out such a good formula that just works out so well. Like it's quick, like Ben and, and, and Chad have this amazing chemistry that it's, yeah. it's natural, but also something that they built over so many years. So Secret, I was kind of like... shit to do up in Montana. So if you don't get good at something <laughs> up there, I'm just kidding. No, those guys are great. <laughs> no, uh, this is a, a space, as you know, because you've listened to it, where we like to make fun of Ben. So feel free. Yes. This is your... <laughs> oh, I should have known the stipulation up front. I would have already been on a tirade by now rather than this giving him his props. Window. Yeah, that, that was the only time I knew he listened to my show when I like yeah. went on a, t- a tiny little rant mocking him and he caught wind of it. So I was like, ah, so you were listening, Ben. I, I, was, uh, I, appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate those guys because they've kind of turned their co-main event into now like a vehicle for the writing and everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, independent. I, I think that that's a very smart way to go. Um you know, the they've way- been able to sustain. Yeah. So it's, they're kind of at that point, you're no longer as vulnerable to the, you know, to the to the winds of MMA change. You know, like if, if companies want to do something, whatever, you're like, whatever, yeah. I still got my own thing. So good for them, man. That's that's the way that you kind of have to do it nowadays. Yeah. Right. Like you just yep, get a lot with Substack and everything else like that's kind of and, and I think Ariel sort of. A lot of people were praising him for betting on himself, which he did, but he had already like established himself to an extent where he could actually yeah. really afford to do it. Because, but he yeah. really did like the smart thing, which is like, I'm gonna be me and people like they are they trust me enough and they're interested enough that like it's yeah, it's about MMA, but at this point it's like yeah. really about Ariel. But well I'll tell you yeah. And I'll tell you something he's done very effectively is he knew that that, like betting on yourself was one thing, but I think he understood that it wasn't really a bet at all. Like he was going to landslide. Um, his, the biggest thing he did though, honestly, was just change his kind of persona. Like he he invented this kind of heel wanny thing, right? Like, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, if you talk, if you hear him now, he's not really pulling punches. He's kind of willing to discuss anything. And yeah. I think because he's been withheld, not just in ESPN, you could probably go back. I, you know, he's fairly restrained even in the MMA hours, first iteration, all that stuff. I think that there's like this uh, natural transcendence of a uh, guy who was a journalist and has uh, done that, but now has become a personality. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that he knew that everybody was ready for that. So he, it was betting on himself, but like the piecemeal way he's put this together is actually kind of genius because when you look at, um, you know, the sub stack, which dude, they're going to be back in a pink truck up after the first year after, you know, like, cause he's donating the first year to like a, a charity. But like, after that, it's like, everybody's already signed up. This guy's yeah. going to be cashing in. He's got like, you know, he's an ambassador for some uh, gambling site. He does mm-hmm. the ringer stuff. Um, he's got his MMA hour back. Look, what is this? Four things right now. Plus he has, what's the other, his YouTube channel, which he's yeah. launched and there's other stuff. Oh, he's got like, you know, some Showtime stuff like the Jake Paul, like he's just, he's, he's kind of, uh, he's orchestrating it. He calls it a puzzle, but the way he's orchestrating, I'm like, this is actually probably a kind of model that other people who have a million followers type thing will start to follow, right? They'll say, this is a way to do it. This is what I'm going to do, you know? So he's actually kind of a bold frontier in that way. But how do you even get there, right? And and to me, me now, that has been the main thing. And I 
talk about this on the show a lot, like, because the key to all of it is visibility, right? Like, and I do think, and I do think that a lot of the reason why people are choosing to follow you, it's, of course, the quality of your work and the reliability of your work, but personality. People have to kind of respond to you, relate to you, uh, like you, like, in a different, I feel, way nowadays than they do before because we're just so used to feeling like we have access to everyone, right? Like celebrities on Instagram showing their quote-unquote real lives, which are not real lives for anyone else, but it's, you know, like... And 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 to me also like with Ben and Chad, the reason why to me they're so successful, other than being incredibly talented and intelligent and amazing. People, okay, now slow down. They're just okay. <laughs> just kidding. Come on. I love it. Please. <laughs> uh, I am such a fan of of theirs, yeah. but like a lot of it also was the way that their personalities came across yeah. and like the listeners uh, of the co-main relating to them on a different level, like forming a community. And I think that's the way with Ariel, like uh, other big MMA personalities, Luke Thomas, even like people who are there just to hate Luke Thomas. um, Not me. I really like him, but like he's, he's got a big personality and to me, that definitive opinion too. Yeah. Definitive. Never been afraid to give his opinion. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And even when it's unsolicited and it's completely like nonsense, he still gives a damn opinion. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he gives it for like several minutes and very eloquently. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, Luke, I have no idea what you're on about, but yeah. you live your truth. You live your truth. <laughs> no, he's he was perfect. I mean, he's he's perfect at what he does. Yeah, he's perfect for what he does because he has the opinion, and uh, I do think he creates conversation. And a lot of times, that's what uh, that's a compelling thing by itself. If it's if it's interactive, even in a you know in a comment section, it just becomes a, uh, a you know you become like a personality based on that. Yeah. So he's he's done an excellent job. But that that comes at a cost, right? That's the thing you have to make yourself. I'm not that ambitious. See, that's the hmm. problem. Like, that's <laughs> it's just honestly that's like I'm very curious. Tell me about that. Well, I mean, I'm just um, I can't imagine waking up and looking over my day and saying, okay, I'm going to have to do a four hour MMA, you know, the MMA hour, I'm going to interview five guests and then I'm going to put out like a thousand fires around that. You know, (laughs) I'm not that guy. See, I I think that like that kind of initiative, you know, if you're, if you're that guy, Mm -hmm. clearly Ariel doesn't drink or anything either because he'd never hung over nothing like that. Like he never needs a nap. Like he's he's, uh, he's a robot person. He, like that's, see, that's a see that's a difference. That's a fundamental difference between he's us. Like I can't Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren and like <laughs> Universal Soldier. Like he was created for this. Like he's it's not true. organic material. I mean, you got to be a bit a bit of a go getter. I'm a I'm I'm a go getter when it comes to just writing. You mm. know, like I like to sit down and write. You know, I feel at home writing, but I don't feel at home, um, you know, being recorded for that amount of time or to have to orchestrate that many interviews or whatever the case is, you know, traveling to that many places, all that sort of thing. Like it's too much, you know, it's not what I signed up for. So I feel like I'd be like living some kind of fake life if I tried it, you know, I'd be like, I'm 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 masquerading. I'm just, it wouldn't be me. So I, I know that I know my limitations in terms of my ambition and stuff like that. I don't get bummed out either when like I sometimes th- I feel like uh, I see this a lot and I've heard I've heard people I've even heard people on your on this podcast, you know, that feel they get a little left behind in this space or mm-hmm. they don't get enough recognition, things yeah. like that. I get it. But I think at some point I, uh, you know, I think I made peace with that. You know, like I just I maybe it's because I get enough recognition. I don't know. Maybe I've got to the point where you're like, you know, you feel like 
if you write something, a certain amount of people will read it. That's good enough. I don't really care. Um, whereas some people don't feel like they get that kind of readership or whatever. But I just, if you compare yourself to the guys who are, you know, doing something, um, something else, or they're just, they're wildly successful in some other way. It's just, you're not, you're not being fair to yourself either. And you're probably going to set yourself up to be miserable in this game for as Mm -hmm. long as you're in it. So Um, I just, uh, I try to stay healthy with the, with how I can, how I look at it, you know, from the big picture. That's the thing. I'm right with you. And it's, it's sometimes something I'm like embarrassed to even say, because I think I was raised in kind of, not now, now like girl boss is a new thing, but there is a very big, like when I was like in my early twenties, like girl boss thing, like, and because I'm very opinionated and so it's like break that glass ceiling girl <laughs> yeah. and that I had to be super driven and ambitious and how cool it is that you're an ambitious woman that you're driven and you, and now I'm kind of like, I'm not that ambitious. I'm kind of like, <laughs> I'm just not, I don't want, and, and I think we're also in this sort of like, uh, hustle culture mode yeah. generally, yes. right? Yeah. Like yep. people are like, Oh, you need to grind. Like we really glorify the freaking grind. I know. Like you have a thousand jobs and you're doing 3000 interviews a day and you're traveling and you're not sleeping. And like, I only slept three hours cause I'm like in freaking Abu Dhabi doing shit. And then I'm flying back and commentate, but I don't care. Cause I'm living yeah. my dream. And I'm like, like you from the outside, like, I don't even, I don't, I don't want any of that for myself. Right. And well, I I'm with you on that. I'm right. That. <laughs> I mean, there's so a lot of people, work. there are a lot of people who are saying I'm living the dream and, you know, they're mm-hmm. like, Hey, I'm off. Like you mentioned Abu Dhabi. Um, to me, I can't think of a more nightmarish um, <laughs> situation than having to like, you know, fly over to Abu Dhabi, hit the ground, do like a bunch of interviews, uh, you know, be in makeup or be in prep or, you know, production or whatever. Like I can't imagine doing all that Mm -hmm. as my living. That would not be my idea of a dream life. That would be my idea of like, what have I become? You know? So I'm like to each their own. To each their own. Exactly. Yeah. If if that's what, if that's what you like, I think some people love to be in the heart of the action. You know, that's perfectly fine. But yeah. Um, I, like I said, I knew I wanted to write and I'm perfectly content. And I, you know, the, the thing is I'm, I'm also, so I say ambition, but it doesn't mean I am without like fierce rivalry or fierce protect, you know, protectiveness over my writing. I, Mm -hmm. I, that's the thing I want to do. So that I think that my energy, uh, mm-hmm. my mind, all that stuff goes to my writing. I don't really, the rest of it is just, it's, it's still kind of necessary, but I, I enjoy it more than I used to, but it, yeah. it's still, it's still not, it doesn't define me. I hope the writing defines me. Yeah. So it's like you put the energy that way. But in order for people to even get to your writing, right? Like you need to put yourself yes, out days. there, quote unquote, oh, man. these days. If people recognize me at events. Um, you know, these days I feel like if people, you know, if, if you get recognized at an event, I feel like mostly it's because it used to be the MMA beat, but uh, it's it's a ver- variation of things nowadays. Um, but writing, which what used to be the thing, like I still get a lot of it. I, I mm. this this sounds kind of weird. I still get a lot of people who compliment my writing, which is very flattering. I love that. That's the only stuff that um, means something to me. But like when they're like, "Hey, I love you on the MMA beat," that's pretty cool. Uh-huh. But it's so common, you know, because. Um, just being on, you know, just being on some stream or being on TV or something. I don't know. I've maybe it's just me. I feel like I've cheated. Like that feels. Oh cheap. no! I, I absolutely I I understand what you're saying. Because like, whenever, like recently, I would do whenever I do like an MMA fighting whatever thing, like the 
Uh, I totally forgot the name of the thing I was doing with the teams that we like argue against each other and their points. Oh yeah. And it's all, oh, it, uh, I had a blast. Like it's really fun. And I love Jed and Mike and, and Alex Lee. Like I love everyone there. Yeah. But, um, and then like the amount of like followers I get after doing that, the amount of like people that come up to me or like congratulate me or whatever versus like for my writing, it's completely disproportionate. <laughs> like right. it's a lot more for that kind of stuff. And I, it's a skill to do that kind of stuff. I'm very nervous. I feel like I would need a lot more repetitions to actually be good at, at doing stuff on camera, but like it's not diminishing the skill that it takes because it does. But for me, I'm always kind of like, I feel like, I don't know, it doesn't really speak to me in the way that it does. Like like yeah. you said, when somebody compliments something I wrote or sure. even the show, because it's something that I'm like really putting sort of like craft into it and trying to like actually, it's it's really weird. It's hard to explain because I no, don't. I think you explain it just right. I mean, I think that um, if you identify as a writer, I think that that's the you know, that's, that's where you want to be recognized, right? Like you do it because you want people, you know, writing is very communal too. Like you do it to communicate. You do it to like a lot of times, especially in this space, you do it to, uh, I don't want to, I always used to say it was like, I, I used to look at it like I was on a hill, like, mm. you know, uh, watching the hysteria below. Mm. Not that I was trying to say I was above everybody, but it was like that you were just kind of tapping your foot and taking notes, yeah, and that, and then you were going to write a column because you had this good view of it all. Like you, you took this really bird's eye view. To me, that's kind of it, right? Like you're you're trying you you're basically taking the distilled hysteria, like you're distilling it, and you're saying like, okay, here's what we watched, mm-hmm. and you say something, people agree with it or they don't, but I think that when they agree with it, particularly, it's because you, um, you know, somehow that's your writer ability. Like you, you're mm-hmm. able to communicate something that they were thinking. Yeah, and uh, that's. That's what it's about. Like to me, that's what I've been trying to do. Um, so if somebody says, "Hey, man, I really loved your column," or "I love this piece," um, it resonates a little more. I try not to let go too high on the highs or too low on the lows yeah. because there's plenty of times, like when I wrote about Brendan Schaub, uh, that you just get panned for a week. Like people are throwing Ugh. rotten fruit at you. <laughs> oh, it, it was for the athletic, right? That when was for the athletic. The, the special. I will say, you know, I, I have rarely spoke about this uh, particular piece. There was a, I went to Nashville, uh, like I traveled to Nashville to watch him at a comedy club called Zanies. Um, and I had a quick turnaround. I don't remember why we had this because at the athletic, one of the things we were going to do is give ourselves room to breathe yeah, and let and the pieces come out. But we, I did not have this luxury for whatever on this piece. So my approach on it was wrong. I didn't have time to kind of really put it together the right way. I'm not trying to make excuses, you know, but I'm like, I wasn't able to put it, uh, structure it the way it should have been structured, Mm -hmm. which it should have been structured where you start with skepticism, Mm -hmm. you know, and I wasn't able to do that. I wasn't able to kind of give it the nuance it needed. And so I wrote it the way I did very quickly. And, uh, oh my God, it was like, you know, you question everything after something like that. uh, Really? It didn't matter. It wouldn't matter if I've, you know, won Pulitzers or, uh, you know, before that. It was just like what they knew is that you uh, you wrote this. It wasn't glowing, but like this, I guess it came off as mostly positive piece about Brendan Schaub, you know, and I'm like, you know, you realize that like uh, it doesn't take much to kind of drop the ball in the sport. So I don't mind it ultimately, but you want to feel good about your piece. You want to feel like you can back it. I couldn't really back that one. Mm, I felt like I was defeated. 
Yeah. That's the main thing about criticism. Like, um, it's one thing, you know, I, I, like I said, take shit personally, but like, it's one thing to let things roll off your back when you can stand behind the work. And then sometimes you just are not that proud of it. And then when people pile on it, it just makes you feel that much worse. Yeah. I mean, if it's a, if it's a column, and uh, you've written some columns, right? Like you, you yeah. used to do that at The Athletic. It's like, you know, you're giving your opinion. Maybe you're back in your opinion um, or whatever it is. But you're writing a piece. A lot of times I go in for somewhat of a humorous piece or, mm-hmm. you know, like you're trying to make it lighthearted to an extent, have yeah. some levity behind it. Yeah. But sometimes you're straight up just ripping something, you know. Yeah. Like, um, but it's your opinion. So if somebody wants to come at you and say, hey, man you're wrong about this. Okay. Well, that's your opinion. Like, it's just kind of, you're totally fine with it. I think when it's the, uh, you know, when they think that you were tone deaf or you just got the wrong notes, or maybe you were gullible, things Mm. like that for a piece, like, like the shop one, especially that one kind of hurts. Cause you're like, yeah, you might actually be right. You might actually be right. I might've screwed this one up, you know? Um, so anyway, but that's writing. You gotta, you gotta roll with it. Like we said off the top of the show, it's like, you know, it's not like it ends with that one. You're going to be writing something else the next day or the next week, and you got to just keep rolling. So uh, that's what you got to do, man. Yeah. Did you like? <laughs> did you beat yourself up though? Because I beat myself up a lot. I like I said, I like talking about processes. You don't. You don't strike me as the tortured type <laughs> of writer. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I would say that uh, there's a certain amount of that. Okay. Um, there's a certain amount, especially on a piece like that. Like you just feel like you could have done it better. Yeah. I think that that's really what hurts you on something like mm-hmm. that. That one will stick with me because I know I could have done it better with an extra few days. Yes. I just could have added the proper nuance that would have been presented in a whole different way. Mm-hmm. Um, that one could have worked, but like generally speaking, I think um, there's very few honestly. I, you do beat yourself up over certain things, but I guess it's almost masochistic or something at some point. Cause you're like, yeah. You're like, you know what, man, if I can't, you know, I like the complexity of emotion. Let's put it that way. Mm, okay. You write something, maybe it's not your best and you kind of eat it a little bit. You're like, all right, well, I like that complexity because it informs me, you know, mm-hmm. and it gives me something more to do, you know, to, to maybe think about, to change. I, I like that. I like the complexity of going through feelings and emotions about something you wrote or didn't write. I'm like, yeah. to me, that's part of the process. I try not to let one emotion dictate all of them, you know, so if I'm in a if I'm in a state like basically where I'm like oh man I'm really bummed out about this mm-hmm. you just try to change it you know get up and do it again the next day and try to change it to something else. That's to me the 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 hardest thing about doing columns, which I really enjoy, but also destroys me is that like <laughs> it takes a because you have to do it especially in a quick turnaround yes type of setting right like if you're gonna write a column about that event it needs right. to be out on monday tuesday tops later nobody's gonna read it because it's done and we're already talking about something else right so you have that pressure and i think it's good also to have the freshness you're writing you're turning something around quickly that it's based kind of you're not overthinking it at the same time you're not giving a lot of time to actually think about it. And right. sometimes, like you said, you just need that distancing of like one day, two days yeah. to sort of put on the different glasses or just so, so to me, that to me is the hardest balance of writing yeah. like fresh, relevant content that is opinionated um, 
and just like yeah. having response the in understanding that there's responsibility to it uh because Tones there is can be tough tones can be can be tough because you have to understand the context right mm-hmm. of what you're saying because if you don't the people reading it will they'll remind you that hey you didn't even mention this or this only existed because of this they will remind you of what you're missing yeah. or or some uh, misstep that you took in these things so you have to it has to be sound besides your opinion it has to just be sound in terms of its factual yes um and, and in terms of the state of things and where mm-hmm. it's at fact wise like i feel like those things make it difficult to, to turn around quickly but yeah um I don't know. I think I just got used to columns because uh, I was doing it at ESPN. Then I, I basically did it the six years I was at MMA fighting the whole mm-hmm. time. And um, I just became it became uh, uh, comfortable mm-hmm. for me to an extent yeah. because I was just used to doing it. I used to do them um, at ESPN like the Saturday night of the fight. Like you would write something that yeah. night and you're like, that, that was extremely tough. I find it very helpful if you can at least sleep on what you've seen. Yeah. Like, even if I'm it's subconsciously, saying. you don't like... Uh, subconsciously you're putting it together mm-hmm. something you know you're, you're piecing it together everything has had a chance to settle a little bit and so if you got up sunday morning and you wrote yeah. something it's going to be that much better so getting to monday obviously like you should be able to write a good column because you've mm-hmm. had plenty of time to to digest and all that stuff but um yeah it's not an easy thing i think some people think like oh you know i, I could do that well you can but it may not you know it it takes a lot to do one of those columns. It's not like it's uh, <laughs> it's yeah. not like you just th- throw words together and see if it see if it works. Because it seems simple enough. Like you know MMA, you know what we are talking about. Sometimes when yeah. I'm writing a thing, I start to like doubt that I know the basic facts of it. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'm like, is my premise just entirely crazy? <laughs> yes. Well, there's I've, you know, I was <laughs> I, I mean, there's times where you I think that. Um, that happens. Yeah. Like you're like, you know, I, you seem to be going against the the grain of like what the popular opinion is yeah, or something right. like that. Or you have some, you, it's like you watched a different fight, you know, that, that mm. occasionally does happen. But again, I, I'm just like, well, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's still an opinion piece, you know, mm-hmm. so let's run it. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're not disguising it as anything else. Cause yeah, that's the main thing. You need to have the that, responsibility of being that's like, that's always what pisses me off. Even to this day, mm. And this is why MMA fighting sucked working there because, you know, they didn't try to distinguish a columnist from the people who are just recapping, um, you know, MMA hour or like, you know, doing a news piece or uh, reporting on a Twitter feud. Like all those things that are just populating the page. You have to distinguish a column, right? Because it's a, it's a opinion piece. It has to be its own thing. And mm-hmm. they just never did a good job of that. And I felt like Junkie didn't do much better. Um, it did with and, Ben because I remember like yeah. that was the thing right like we knew what Ben was writing was an opinion and now they do put a lot of like opinion right stuff and that, in and, front and it yeah. doesn't have to be like this big telegraph thing like opinion yeah. piece you know like sure dog <laughs> I think I saw was doing this this that reflect us we're you know but yeah. it's like um, distancing but yourself it's, from like the whole but I mean there's to this day you, you'd like to think that the audience is smarter than this mm. but I don't know if you ever go down comments I, I yeah, rarely read them but so many times people are very confused <laughs> as to what the duty is between a person writing a piece of news breaking news or whatever it is or a column I'm like you realize these are two entirely different things right but they do not and I feel like that's why there needs to be like a delineation there like says hey like this is one thing this is the other um there's just you cannot underestimate um, how stupid people are. So <laughs> I, you know, you gotta like you gotta sometimes tell them, you know. Uh, 
now doing your thing <laughs> though um you know you're doing you're writing basically from an understanding for yourself right like you're you yeah. determine everything that now you're currently putting out there or at least until the the ringer uh writing agreement yeah. is in place. right so i'm doing basically a uh um a considerably less lucrative version of what ariel's doing which is mm-hmm. um you know where i've got like multiple multiple things that all work out into one kind of gig you know yeah. like you're so i have the myth you know i do the myth which is just a place for me to do some columns like to keep that rolling and yeah. then i'll have i'll have the ringer um where i'll probably do some feature type writing and some and some columns, you know, that, that sort of stuff. And then I have the, the podcast there. And, uh, and then I've got like, I, I dabble with these other things that are, you know, they're not really, it would be of zero interest to like an MMA person, but like I do some editing on the side and some other writing Mm -hmm. for, you know, stuff that has nothing to do with MMA. So if you put all those things together, it adds up into like a, you know, a, a a fun gig, you know, it's cause I've got like, it's just so much variation now. I'm actually digging it creatively though does it work for you to just be because and i again speak sort of for myself and i'm giving too much freedom i'm kind of like oh man <laughs> like do i even have any ideas <laughs> i start getting a little overwhelmed by the possibilities <laughs> how is yeah. it for you to like just be able to actually pick what you're gonna say that week well a lot of it then becomes you're right i mean there's no there's no editor saying hey you got to yeah. get this done there's nobody uh, or like this is interesting or this is yeah. relevant like you kind of have to just go with your own instincts there. I, I've been a little bit too lax, I think, with the the myth. I mean, I'm obviously not writing on there nearly enough. I have sponsors on there and I'm waiting for them to start raising hell that, um, you know, <laughs> they're not, you know, they're bang for their buck because uh, I'm not doing enough. But I plan to, my plan is, you know, to like at least be doing a piece, to, a piece or two a week in there. And I think once I have a standard like that, you know, you just kind of try to keep it going. But yeah, it's difficult to... Um, you know, to just wake up and be like, uh, let's see, what should I do today? And, you know, maybe I should write a piece for the site because you'd like to know what you're going to write about. You know, yeah. you want to just like conjure it out of air. Yeah. Today I wrote about, um, Fedor and that's a little bit late, but I was like, you know what? I should comment on this. You know, yeah. I, I, he just fought. I should write something about it. Um, I don't even think it's posted yet, but, uh, I just wrote, I just wrote this piece and, um, that's kind of how it is. A lot of it is just something that you're like, you know, I should write about this. <laughs> And it's, it's as stupid as that. Um, but right now is a very lax time. So I'm like, uh, I'm still, I guess I'm still kind of slowly getting back into MMA. Like, uh, yeah. you know, where you're not like there, there's still this past week was the most MMA I've watched in like a year, you know, cause there were so yeah. many events going on mm-hmm. and, uh, I was watching all because we we're going to a podcast, but there's some of those fight nights and stuff like that, man. It's still very difficult for me to want to sit down and watch five hours and, of fighting, you know, and like all the prelims and all that. I just can't do that. So, um, so I think I'm still kind of easing in to be honest with you. Yeah. I can, I've barely <laughs> been right. Like I've barely been yeah. writing. Like it's, it's tough. The whole thing. Um, it's tough, man. How long did, have you been, uh, writing about MMA specifically? Okay. So let's see. I think the first piece. Okay. But it wasn't, I wasn't, if you're asking solely MMA, it was probably 2008, like where I was, transitioned fully to just MMA, you know, where you're just writing MMA. 2007 was probably the first pieces I ever wrote about MMA. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was because uh, I was editing a paper in Southern California. I might've told you this stuff before, but they, Dan Henderson and, um, and Quentin Jackson were both from the area. Yeah. They were, they were getting ready to fight. Mm -hmm. Don't remember the card number. It was like UFC 70. I think it's 75. I didn't, you didn't tell me, but I I was listening to you on a different podcast. And so I just wrote about that and then it kind of snowballed from there. 
because he because Dan Dan Henderson then fought Anderson Silva mm-hmm. and uh, he, him being in my region basically was the the catalyst because I went and followed him to Columbus for UFC 82 did this yeah. big cover story and from there it kind of took off like it's just uh, people realized you could write about the sport and mm-hmm. opportunities came up and within like a year of that I was pretty much that's it I was just writing about MMA yeah. And the, you did mention sort of, and I think we all go through it, like just periods, whether because of external circumstances or just shit that's going on in our brains of like burnout. Um, yeah. It, but it's a long time to be talking about a thing, man. <laughs> like, how, how do you, I don't know, do you still like, do you still feel like energetic, like enthusiastic <laughs> about MMA? It's really interesting when you do take that step back and mm. then you just kind of peek in at the voices still very much on the hamster wheel and covering like it's just uh a lot of it seems silly like a lot of the debate that just goes up it starts to seem silly to you right like they're just kind of clutching at whatever came out of it yes. oh you know we need to change judging because something happened on this or mm-hmm. um i mean judging is a is a real issue but like you know there'd yeah. be something there's something would happen then all everybody's writing about it um, you know, it's like whatever little uh, fire breaks out is where everybody kind of jumps over to. And then until mm-hmm. something else takes their attention, it's a very weird thing. But I, uh, yeah, I feel like my enthusiasm levels are pretty good again. Like mm-hmm. I can watch fights now and you're, you're, I can appreciate like the, the technical side of it, you yeah. know, uh, like I wasn't doing before. A lot of times I would see a pattern established with guy, one guy offsetting the other. And you just felt like, well, this is going 15 minutes, you know, and you're just kind of, um, lose interest only in the sense that it was like a you know you knew it was going to go the full 15 minutes so it was like more like uh understanding that you had a you know you might as well buckle up you know you're yeah. going to be sitting there for a while i don't really i i feel like i've got that out of my system you know yeah. like i'm watching fights more analytically now um uh, like i was originally and things like mm-hmm. that so and you know i i'm get you know like i just wrote this fedor piece it's like there's certain guys in the game that you see Come in, guys and girls, obviously, like anybody, like yeah. you get in there and you just you get excited, you know. And I, that was something that wasn't there. Um, maybe it was all the Conor McGregor, like certain guys yeah. came through the sport, and I think they just kind of, um, I don't know, changed like the enthusiasm levels. Yeah, they kind of held the sport hostage yeah. for a bit. It's kind of like yes. how I. So it's kind of fun to see new, you know, new new people coming up and. Um, you know, all that stuff. So I, I feel like, yes, I have restored my enthusiasm level uh, a, a good deal. I wouldn't say I'm 100% like I was when I first started. I don't know if I'll ever get there again. Yeah. I don't maybe think that's, like 75%. That's good enough for me. I really admire people who are able to keep those levels up. Because I'm kind of like, I go back and forth and, and there yeah, are like times. Probably John Morgan. I'm like, how does a guy like that? Dude, I just right? I can't even imagine being. <laughs> I can't imagine doing what John Morgan does. To be honest, I'm like that. Like I saw, I went to uh, Vegas a couple weeks back, but this was just a uh, uh, some buddies who were getting together out there that I agreed to meet up with. Mm-hmm. So I went to the Apex and watched a fight card. It was the uh, the very good Aspen Lad fight that just happened. Oh wow! <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was the that worst, was the possible draw. Can't but I, miss. Uh, card uh that <laughs> you bad. watched but uh but i see morgan there man and i'm like you know i feel like i'm dropping back into this world in some ways that i've you know uh oh, yeah. left and and there he is you know still in his like agua blue shirt <laughs> and he's like he's just hammering away and he's like still taking the photos and still yeah. asking the questions and i'm like dude i i don't know how he does it i I don't know how he does it. It's it's crazy I'm working, so i marvel like, through the night like it's yes. just it's very 
Guillerme Cruz, another one. Gu- like, he just keeps going. He's got like 10 pieces he could write every single week. I'm like, I don't know how you do it, Guillerme. He is like one of the most underappreciated uh, people kid, on the sport, I think. He's the best. And his quality, the quality of his work to me is just yes. outstanding. It's crazy. Yeah. How long had it been since you had been to a live event? Ooh, well, it would have been before the pandemic was the last one. And honestly, let's see. So I was let go from uh, in June, right? June of 2020. So before that, let's see, I guess there was the, there were a couple of events I attended for the athletic mm, okay. in, in, uh, in January and February of last year. Yeah. One of them was the John Jones, um, John Jones fight in Houston. That, that might've been the last one I was at. Cause I, I think I had the Vegas one, whatever it was. It was one of those two. Cause I attended, I think the last one that we covered as a team for the athletic, because it was the Brasilia one in March. Oh yeah. That's right. When it started. And then it was kind of like, some people were like, should there even be an event? You know, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. It was a yeah. whole thing. And I was like, come on, this is silly. I remember Ben being yeah. like on the chat, like it's not silly. And I'm like, in hindsight, I was like, yeah, Ben was correct as usual. You're so naive. <laughs> but it's crazy. Cause then I went to an event at the apex recently because yeah. I was getting vaccinated in Vegas. Oh, wow. So I ended up uh, going to uh, Misha Tate's return. Um, oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. Where are you at right now? I'm in Mexico City. Oh, wow. Weird. Crazy. I did not realize that. I married uh, my husband who is from here and who lives here, and now I'm here. (laughs) Gotcha. That's the story. (laughs) Gotcha, man. You're all over the place. I am. For a while there, weren't you going to move to Toronto? You had like some... uh, I was. Then the pandemic happened. My sister lives there. I was there for three months. Um, and then uh, I came back to do the event in Brasilia and then uh, it was right after the the whole thing exploded Canada closed down I came here to see about this guy and um, <laughs> got married but it was really weird congrats I love it thank you it's a yeah. uh, it's gonna be my my bestseller but it was really weird being ba- <laughs> back at the apex like I felt so weird. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's very like, you're very self-aware at a place like that because it's very quiet in there. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, I don't know how to, I, I, I had never really experienced it. I, I keep explaining it. Like, it's almost like you walk in on somebody rehearsing like a rehearsal or mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, something's in progress. That's not quite official. It's weird, but it is official. Obviously these fights are going on. It's just, uh, it has a different vibe there for sure. I didn't even get to be octagon side. I'm not fancy like you, Chuck. <laughs> I wasn't octagon side. Oh, they didn't give. They you had the... me sitting up, but I was I was VIP. Oh, that was a fun okay. So we were, so it's the first time I've been at a UFC event where I was uh, getting liquored up a little bit. Oh, I don't probably in. Uh, I don't know. I, I'd have to really think about that. <laughs> I don't. It's been a long time though. It's probably all the way back to. Um, you know, 2010 or something like that. Yeah. The last time I went and actually had fun in an event where you're drinking and hanging out, you know? So your experience was a little, I was having side effects from the vac- vaccine and got sick and left early. Other than that, it just felt like so foreign to me in some ways. Yeah. And I'm like this space that has been so familiar for so many years. Oh yeah. It just feels a little like I'm, I'm not from here anymore. It was kind of like a, <laughs> a bit of a trip. Yeah. Um, Chuck, I already took up so much of your time. I guess this is it. Before we go, we talked about your endeavors, but uh, do you want to like uh, plug anything to our listeners? Not really. I would advise everybody to stay away from whatever hell. No, I, I, I do. Like I mentioned the myth. That's just the uh, M-I-T-H. That's um, that's where you can find some of my columns. And, uh, you know, that's it. I mean, you know, my Twitter handle and all that stuff. 
We have the same followers, Fernanda. I we, feel like people, we, you know, <laughs> people like you like me and vice versa. Uh, I don't know if vice versa, but for sure people... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you're fans. Uh, they should love you. Although they should be a little upset with you because this is... Is this really Best Camp 52? I'm looking at this uh, the sheet here. Yes, I think and so. I lose count. It took a full 52 episodes before I got on here. This is ridiculous. I explained. I was like, Chuck is way out of my show's <laughs> league. I had to warm up to this invitation and I had to be better at podcasting. <laughs> Come on. To be worthy of your presence, Chuck. But I'm, I really on, so appreciate you good. taking the it's time a, to do this. Of course. It's a great podcast and I appreciate you having me on. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. Thank you all at home for listening. Thank you to our editor slash producer, Jordan, for being amazing. Thank you. Which random person? I, I, I keep thinking like I, I always thank a random person at the end of the show. But I forget, like, who I'm going to thank today. Bob. Who? Bob. Which Bob? He's a ran- I don't know. Just There's a random no- Bob. He's just really random. Okay. Just Bob. That's good. <laughs> Bob, if you're, like, a good person uh, yeah. and you're not out there saying, like, bad shit for a lot of money yeah. on huge platforms, thank you, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> this, this has been the best camp of my life. I will see you all next week. Bye.